When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Johnny. Hey there. How are how, you? Good. How, how's the sound here today? We, this is a problem we always have, folks. We're trying to, uh, trying to get the art of uh, two people in two places recording at the same time working. Do we, do we sound good? Uh, I sure hope so. Okay. Well, if not, you're just going to have to listen to one of us talking, everybody. Welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and I've got Tannen's creative director and all-around aquatic geek, Johnny Ciotti, with me today. And uh, we're going to have another round of, of some fun discussion and answer a few of your cool questions. And uh, let's just get right into it. Johnny, uh, talk to me for a second here. There's a topic that somebody brought up to you and you said this would make a great podcast. Um, and do you want to just introduce the topic and then we could just start yapping away at it? Well, we've got a couple of topics, but um, I think I think there is a, a bit going on here and they they kind of overlap. And so... Um, I'll introduce, I think, two of the topics, um, cool. and one probably has a few questions uh, attached to that as well. Excellent. So, um, you know, one of them was uh, a request from, uh, you know, someone in our community that uh, commented on a post, which was talking about the rate of decay and and materials in the water and how they affect uh, the water. And then the other mm-hmm. one was was talking about. Um, filterless aquariums and I, th- nice. I think both of those things go hand in hand so uh yeah which one do you want to start with let's let's talk about the decay thing first why don't we talk sure. about that because that's a kind of a common theme that we hit on now i guess i can approach it from the standpoint of like the overall like like first off the, the top level thinking is that obviously in a botanical style aquarium and a blackwater aquarium and johnny you you feel free to chime in if i'm I'm not uh, in congruence <laughs> with your thoughts here <laughs> that the whole basis of what we do is about decay. It's about decomposition. It's about the stuff breaking down and imparting, you know, tannins, lignans, other substances to the water. Now, the, the thing to remember is that you're taking terrestrial materials and putting them in water. So obviously the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to accrue biofilms. They're going to start decomposing as bacteria break them down. Each individual item botanical leaf whatever you're using twigs for that matter wood breaks down at a different rate now composition uh, decomposition is determined by a lot of factors i'm not an expert or an ecologist so i can't tell you exactly how long every single thing can break down but if you're wondering what to expect typically and this is my experience and johnny tell me if you're wrong if i'm wrong um leaves like for example catapa leaves um for me typically in, in typical six point six pH water with little carbonate hardness. I find that a, a typical leaf will hold its form for about two to three weeks before starting to really soften up and break down uh, and decompose gradually and ultimately be next to nothing, depending on the action of fish and invertebrates in about three to four weeks. Um, and then, you know, really goes down from there. What, what is your experience with that stuff? Well, you know, and that, I think that's an interesting um an interesting question within the question. Um, I have different experiences. Um, and it, it yeah. depends, you know, it doesn't depend solely on the system, but um, is influenced by a lot of the 
um, you know, other contributing factors inside their water flow, fish activity, um, whether or not the fish or maybe there's invertebrates, et cetera, that are, um, yep. you know, eating uh, from or eating directly on um, some of those materials. And then the, the overall base level of the water chemistry that you start with, you know, as you know, or as we talk about often, you know, the, the botanicals in general aren't going to just instantly lower your pH level all the way down. Like they will have an effect on it. Um, right. But if you start with a, a hardness of, you know, eight um, or a pH of like eight in your aquarium, uh, yeah. you're not going to get it to below six no. with just botanicals. And- no, and, and, and the other thing, too, is we, we've talked about before. I know we've talked about it on this podcast before. Botanicals and leaves will not decrease the carbonate hardness of your water. The, the right. only way to do that, and we've said it a million times. I'll say it one more time. I'm sure you'll agree with me. Uh, Joni and I both use reverse osmosis deionization units. I know they're expensive. I know you could spend between 100 to 900 U.S. dollars, depending on how you know, good a system you get. But I think it's the single most important investment a serious aquarist could make because you start with good quality water right off the bat. And do you agree, Johnny? Or do you I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. It's just fundamental. I, I think it's a fundamental. Um, it's if not a prerequisite to successful aquarium yeah. keeping. I think it's, you know, a, a, in any type of aquarium keeping, really yeah. starting with a canvas that is blank. Um, yep. Which is the best quality water you can, you, you don't want somebody else's, uh, you know, imprint on that already. So, um, or, you know, environmental imprint. Uh, and so I, exactly starting with the water like that is going to obviously give you different results and, and breakdown as well. So, right. Because the water is more malleable too. So you right. can reduce the pH a lot easier in water with zero carbonate hardness than you can in, you know, a higher DKH reading. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, And so my systems, um, I have a, an interesting thing in, in most of them, some of them are a different way. Um, you know, particularly in like my larger blackwater aquarium, it, uh, it, it tends to take two, three weeks to start to break down on the leaves and, um, you know, talking about leaves solely here, not all the other botanicals, but, uh, and then the rate seems to go kind of in a linear fashion. The interesting thing is, and this is also part of the makeup of the leaf and the design of the leaf and the way nature had created these things. Um, then you, then you're left with the remains or like these, this skeletal structure of the leaves where nothing really changes again. And so you may not be getting the same benefits um, from the tannins and the um, lignins and the, the other humic substances imparting into the water column, but you're getting the aesthetic. And so, right. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting one. It's like, well, yeah, when when does it stop being useful? Maybe that's the question that's being asked is well, how quickly does it break down? When does it stop being useful? Right, when should you take it out or whatever? <laughs> and never for me. Well, never, right. We that's how we are. Um, you know, because the whole process of decomposition, uh, it's you know, it's basically converted from one form of matter to another. That's what decomposition is. And you know, the interesting thing to me, and, and we've only touched on this, is that a lot in, in natural aquatic systems, uh, ecosystems, the most of the initial breakdown of botanicals is caused by detritivores, fishes, aquatic right. insects, invertebrates. They start softening the leaf, and then the bacterial and fungal populations take over. And that's 
to to edit by removing things as they're breaking down is kind of shortchanging the whole little food web you're creating with botanicals. At least that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, it's a it's a little uh, a little bit of an ecosystem there that you're that you're helping foster. And I think one of the things we've done in our little world better than a lot of the hobby worlds is, is sort of embrace that as opposed to try to remove everything and edit everything. And I think that's really important. Right. Um, I, I think fostering is a, um, is a good way to describe that. I think it's, um, you know, giving it what it needs to continue and maintain um, the same way as it would naturally, um, you know, leaves continuously fall from, uh, from trees or are pushed right. downstream or, or come from wherever the source is, which is, um, you know, not, not just, in the water themselves, uh, you know, they, they, right. they don't start there. So, um, you know, I, I think we need to continue to introduce those things in that fashion. Um, and then give the, the water parameters or the quality of water to, uh, you know, to start with and, um, you know, foster a, a great environment. Um, and, and you, you brought up another interesting topic too. You talked about, you know, the leaves fall from the trees or they're washed into waterways or they're on the forest floor when the water comes in and floods it. So when we're adding new leaves and new botanicals to an existing, to our aquarium after it's up and running, we're sort of mimicking the very process that happens in nature where stuff falls off the trees at different times. Stuff flows into the waterways um, caused by weather, current, whatever. So we're actually kind of engaging in a very natural process when we're topping off our aquariums with new botanicals when we're removing stuff i think we're actually going against nature it's somewhat of a detriment i you know yeah for me and and this isn't um this isn't necessarily the views of tannin but for me the (laughs) the result or what i'm looking for as an aquarist is I want a water quality that's going to help me break down the leaf as quickly as possible, get it in there, get the benefits of the leaves, get the look that I want. And then I just continue to add leaves. So an ideal for me is, you know, very low uh, pH, very low um, hardness and breaking down leaves. Um, If they're breaking down, then great. Something's working. Um, Let's put it in there. Now I have other aquariums that are interesting. Uh, to say the least, uh, I have a paludarium. It's a blackwater paludarium. It's very small. I think there's got to be two gallons of water maybe wow. in the thing. Um, you know, it's one of these dua dua systems. And, oh right, um, right. Maybe two gallons of water in this thing uh, with the back of it uh, full. But um, you know, leaves just kind of last forever in there. Uh, they they don't really ever break down. I couldn't tell you why. But I can put them in there, and two and a half months later, they're they're still leaves. Well, well you know, it may be the type of leaf too. Like there's certain leaves that I play with a lot, like the oak leaves, and I know you use those too. There, it's oak, oak and jackfruit and mangrove is what's and, in okay, there. Jackfruit, jackfruit lasts a long time. Mangrove lasts a very long time. I've had mangrove leaves for six months. In fact, I have a mangrove leaf in my little urban agapo that's been through three different wet and dry phases and it's still intact. So, I, you know, go figure. It must be the structure of the leaf chemically, you know, or physically the way it's built. But I mean, I think it's less of what to expect. What to expect for people is shit's going to break down. Yeah. It's what do you do about it? You know, do you, do you leave it in or take it out? There's no right or wrong answer. If, if you ask Johnny and I, obviously you can see we're, we favor leaving stuff in until it's completely 
turns to detritus, which is a whole nother discussion for another time. We don't believe there's any harm in that, but it's really more about expectation than what to do about it. Uh, monitor your water quality. Obviously, the, the whole process of a botanical style aquarium is you're putting stuff in your tank. It's bio load. It's breaking down. It's imparting organics into the water. Is that detrimental or helpful? And that's where, you know, testing for basic things like nitrate, phosphate, and so forth. Uh, do you regularly test for nitrate in your water, in, in your um, botanical style I, tanks? I test for exactly nothing. <laughs> you know, the, the, the only, the only You're time, consistent. I like that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm very consistent in not testing. Um, <laughs> I, I do test a system. Um, you know, I'll, I'll probably get flamed for this one. I do test a system and probably. a new system before I go to put fish in. Um, and, well, sure. Yeah. You know, that's about the only time I test it. I test it. I'm like, okay, what is the pH? Because I'm, I'm not about right. to, you know, chuck a bunch of fish in there that have been in a breeder's tank that's got seven and a half pH and I'm going to throw them in a right. tank that's got, you know, 5.8, uh, you know, it's right, like, right. that's just a, not a way to want to do it. So no. I, I do check for that. Um, you know, I, I check to make sure that the, the cycle is complete, um, which, uh, you know, I've, I've never tested one and been like, Oh, it's not complete. So right. I don't really know how long that takes anymore. Um, no, oh, I don't either. There, there, there is a plug there as well for, for something that we're working on that, that I've been using yes. on my new aquarium setups, but uh, we can discuss that further. Um, so I, I test for those things in the beginning. Um, but even going back to my reef keeping days, the only time I test is typically when somebody asks, hey, what's going on there? Do you have an answer for this? And my, my usual answer, right. no, everything's happy. Um, I don't test. I don't test personally, but if, if a company say, you know, Hey Johnny, what's this? Uh, sure. I'll right. go ahead and test, but I, I haven't tested in uh, more than a decade. And I, which I, which care. I dare say is why you and I were both, if I say so myself, we were both pretty darn good reefers because we didn't get obsessed with tests. And, and, and in freshwater, it's the same thing. We're not obsessed with chasing numbers. I suppose if you're really into planted aquariums and you need to test certain things, fine. Um, it's fun to have a baseline of understanding. And I, I've done that in my tanks. I, I have done that initially because hell, hell, I sell this stuff for a living. I kind of want to know what the impact is, but once I've been running my, my tanks, my personal tanks, I do very little testing, just like you, Johnny. I just, I'm curious about the pH, you know, cause I'm always wondering, does the pH drift? Does it stay stable? The answer to that for me has been my tanks. I can't seem to get them below, you know, 6.3 and they never seem to run much above 6.3 six to six point seven is there fluctuation within a given tank perhaps but i certainly haven't had any problems because of that um but yeah. that's what happens in my systems i don't know if you've noticed mine trends like that mine have and nitrate undetectable i've had undetectable yeah there's nitrate. there's no well it just isn't there's a couple of really interesting things here one is an analogy uh, about numbers and i'll often use cars for these sort of things uh um, go for it well you know you enjoy driving your car and, and you may get into a, a spat on a forum or something. If you're a nerd like me about, you know, modifying, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. But does a car with, uh, you know, 400 horsepower, uh, is it any less enjoyable than a car with 398 horsepower? I mean, there are like, why are, why are right. we doing these dyno results? Like why you go, it, it just doesn't matter. And it's the same thing with yeah. an aquarium. If it's stable and you enjoy right. it, why are we, why are we testing? I mean, if I want to get yeah. that into numbers, I'm going to become a CPA. Like, let's just do that. exactly. 
Um, exactly. But your, your other, you know, about the, the nitrate, I, you know, I do notice a very interesting thing beginning of an aquarium. It's set up. I'm sure there's some sort of trace amount of something in there. I get more algae in a new aquarium than I do in an old aquarium. And I think it, there is a relationship between the amount of detritus built up and the lack of algae. The more detritus I have in an aquarium, the less algae I have in an aquarium. Oh, I've got a theory for that. Because I think, first of all, in a new tank, there's not enough, well, not enough. There's not a a huge population of bacteria, right, to break this down or to compete for those nutrients. So, therefore, algae wins out because algae is, you know, pretty efficient. But when you're talking about a tank that's established, that's interesting to me because, you know, part of the whole thing is, again, fostering that little ecosystem. Yep. And it sounds like that's what's happening when you're leaving it. Detritus, the thing about detritus is really interesting to me too, because that's, that's sort of, to me, you remember from reef keeping, there's a lot of talk about carbon source. Remember people with vodka dosing and all that yep. kind of, bi- and, and uh, bio pellets and all that kind of stuff. Don't you kind of think that broken down leaves and botanicals and same, same detritus is the same thing, right? It's, it's essentially a carbon source, right? It's, that's it's your filter bed. Same, same. Um, yeah, I, I think that there's a very strong correlate there. Granted, it would actually take some testing to to figure that one sure. out. Um, I, I've got a little bit of an anecdotal thing as well. Um, as you know, um, we do have uh, uh, some new and exciting products that we're going to be launching here in the future. But yes, one of those things has helped me, um, you know, over the last few aquariums, not only maintain, um, but, uh, you know, foster sort of that environment. Um, and then the initial inoculation and helping the system get to where um, it's stable quicker um, and really provides a better, longer lasting result. And so the tanks that I've used, you know, our new system on have been just rock solid. I mean, the best looking that- fish that I've had, um, the desired result for the breakdown of, of the, you know, the leaves. And dare I say that the tannins, um, have needed less replacement, which is an odd thing. Um, they, you're getting more tannins from the leaves you put in, but the leaves break down quicker. So it's, it's a, it's a better cycle. I want to call it. You're optimizing biological efficiency or right. whatever without sounding like mumbo jumbo. Right. Sounds like what it is. And, and then shade has also made my life easier. So, um, well, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and, and I think that's, you know, that's a, a nice little tease about our, our new product coming out. Suffice it to say, we're going to come out with a, I guess we'd call it a inoculant. That's a good word for it. That's going to really help you create, you know, people talking. one of the, you know, this dovetails right into one of the questions that I have. Do you want me, want me to just ask the question? This is from, sure. from Jerry in Coventry in the UK. He said, you guys talk a lot about building a biome. What do you mean? Mm. Well, okay, Jerry, here's the deal. Um, a biome, you know, involves a lot of different organisms. And one of the best things that we can do is, is to start our systems with a bacterial population sufficient to break down the materials that are in there, perhaps dealing further down the line with microcrustaceans and so forth. But the real fundamental backbone is bacteria. Right. And to that end, we are working with a, a biologist who have worked with a biologist who, who has developed a strain of specialized bacteria a very interesting strain of bacteria that are very efficient at breaking down botanical material doing the very things that we do and optimizing 
uh, the, the, you know, the materials that those give off for their growth. And am I giving away too much, Johnny? No, no. I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't think this has launched yet, but I want to just kind of like. The product is coming. Um, and it's very soon. It's, it's, it's coming very soon. Um, we wanted to release it, obviously, sooner than this, but um, these things take. Uh, they take time to make sure that we're longer than you think the best, not just something. And, uh, and testing is important. The testing, and testing, testing, and testing, and testing. And so, yeah. um, you know, there, there are, you know, uh, there's testing that's a, a visual result. And then there's also real numbers, which, you know, we, we kind of, um, leveraged a, a biologist for that because, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't try to we're pretend. Pure I'm creatives. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, you know, fostering a good culture um, in a system like this is is paramount. I think that um, you know maintaining those things and and nurturing it and um, <laughs> you know all of those are going to be things that these products will help do. Um, and it's a very interesting strain of bacteria that uh, you know is designed specifically for these environments and, and, and raised in that environment. So, um, yeah, yeah re really excited about it. Yeah. And I think it's something that's going to really become without sounding with too much marketing hyperbole, but I think it's really be going to become a standard part of the process of starting and maintaining a botanical style aquarium. I think suffice it to say, it'll be the kind of thing everybody will want in their toolkit because it's so beneficial in so many ways. Yeah. We haven't even touched yeah. on them. And, I mean, and not even just botanical, the, the uses, no. and I mean, we, we could go off into a tangent here, but I use we it can. on the, the orchids in the greenhouse and I'm using yep. it on the paludariums. I'm using it in terrariums. I'm using it in all sorts of um, places and uh, I'm using it in the house plants. It's pretty awesome. And there, there's we're, a compelling argument to support it. Yeah. We're, we're pretty excited about it and we'll, we'll definitely have a dedicated podcast or two or three and we'll even have uh, uh, the biologist on who has, you know, really developed the, the product so we can have a really neat conversation and give you all the ideas and the breakdown of this amazing bacteria. But suffice it to say, I think uh, it's something that's going to be extremely exciting for everybody in our community because, again, getting back to that question, it's all about building up a biome, embracing natural processes, and embracing nature and kind of mimicking a little natural ecosystem in our own homes. And I think that's one of the things we're going to be placing a great emphasis on in the future as we develop more ideas here with Tannen is, is really fostering that ecosystem. Um, as Johnny sort of hinted on, nurturing it along uh, once it's up and running. There, there's so many interesting things and interactions going on. It's going to be so much more than just botanicals and leaves and, and, and stuff. There's all kinds of interesting things that that fall into place with this stuff. So we're looking forward to that one, aren't we? And that's what probably within the month, I would think. Yeah, man, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm excited to get this one out. That's, and yeah. that's an understatement. So uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. if you thought shade was cool, this is going to be way cooler. You know, though, yeah. there, there's, there's a thing They're different. that just makes me feel so good about it is, you know, you're not really a nerd or a geek until you've um, helped design or develop a bacteria uh, you know, for the, for the consumer, you know, it's just like, you're not, that you're makes you you're selling bacteria, you know, that's, that's a, Hey, check selling that twigs out. is bad enough. Now we're selling bacteria. Yeah. Exactly. Selling twigs just makes us weird, <laughs> uh, but you know, you a do that. geek, a right. geek is, yeah. Anybody can sell. Twigs. 
Yeah. And getting excited about bacteria is even more incredible. And, and, and dirt and all the things that we talk about here. Oh, man, dirt. I can't wait until we're selling the dirt. Yeah. The substrates are going crazy. I mean, there's going to be a lot of things. And the neat thing that, that Johnny and I have talked about amongst ourselves before, and we'll, uh, again, I can hint, hint at it with you, is it all kind of is we're hoping to develop a system. You know, best practices we've talked about over the years, protocols and management we've talked about over the years. But really being able to give everybody a good track to run on, not necessarily with like rules and you have to add this and that, but, but the ability to say, well, if I do this, add this, add this, I can get myself well on the way to a really diverse and biologically rich, you know, botanical style ecosystem. And I think that's a fair statement to say, right? I mean, I think that's really, I think it's really fair. And I think it also reinforces something that we've already, uh, dare I say accomplished, but have at least tackled head on is, you know, allowing people to rethink what is truly good looking or what's truly natural. Um, You know, you don't need to follow rules of, of, of aquarium keeping to have a good looking aquarium because we, we flipped that on its head. You you can have a a mucky aquarium or a a dingy aquarium or a brown aquarium and it can look great. Um, Absolutely. And now we're just giving you the tools to make sure that everything in there functions well and your fish are, uh, you know, happy and things are working soundly. Um, Yeah. I think that's going to be the next step. And because then you can just create more efficiently and you can create better and um, you can enjoy the time with it even more so. And, And it's through the ritual and process of aquarium keeping because frankly, it's gotten too easy. The, right. The, you know, depending on how you do it. And once you've done the black water systems, you're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm leaving it alone. But, um, you know, there are things to where you're, you're not sure if it's working well. Um, and a level of reassurance and engagement again with your aquarium is something yeah. that I found that I'm, I'm enjoying my tanks more so now than ever before, just by, and- the daily function of some of these processes. I'm like, this is awesome. That, and that's huge. Right. That's huge. That, that to me, that was the thing that was it, when I was my happiest, when I'm always at my happiest in the hobby is when I am engaged daily with my aquarium. And, and, and you're right. It's not just like having to trim, you know, planted aquarium guys are really good at this because they're constantly hands in the tank. They're trimming things. They're testing water, whatever, but cre- the rituals that go along with it. I think that you, you hit it on the head. That's super important, really relating to your tank, but at the same time, looking at looking at it as a system where we cede some of the controls to nature, but we give it a real good start and we help the processes along. And I think that can't be said often enough. Yep. And that's, you know, we're going to put a lot of emphasis, I think, on, in, on technique and building up the biome, as we've talked about in 2021. That's a big thing for us. So we're excited about that. And that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Got another question for you, Johnny. Sure. Shoot. I'll leave this one. Okay. So here's, here's a good one. Totally different type of question, but. This is from Jennifer in La Crosse, Wisconsin. She says, hey, Johnny and Scott, love listening to you guys. Uh, sometimes you guys nerd out over <laughs> weird stuff. <laughs> is there a fish that, although common in the hobby, would be an interesting subject to keep under wild conditions? How do you like that one? That's a good one. Do you want to first crack on that one? Mm, wait, so say that one okay, again. So com- okay, is... Uh, is there a fish that, although common in the hobby, would be an interesting subject to keep under wild conditions? So I think what she's saying basically is like, you know, a common fish that we keep like guppy or whatever. Yeah. Have, what would be your fish to keep under simulation of its natural habitat versus just, you know, a nice aquarium? Well, you know, 
I think we've covered this before is just, I it's know just about everything though, where you're like, right. gosh, you know, it's, I mean, look at the rummy nose Tetra. How, how many times have yeah. you seen this fish in an environment that's just totally inappropriate or yep. one looks like an aquarium and, and not like uh, a recreation of its natural habitat. Exactly. But there are so many fish like that. I, Okay, this this you are now you are now jumping into what my head looks like every morning of like, you know what <laughs> what am I going to do next? You know what yeah. what fish are we going to display um, honestly? Right, and I think that's a big part of that one. Is okay. Well, what are we going to? What's the narrative, the story behind this fish, and how are we going to tell it honestly? Rather than nice. how are we going to tell it? You know, through this this filtered guise called nature aquarium and so right. uh, <laughs> you know fudge um all of them let you that i just I don't yeah. an answer for any one specific fish i mean i've got one you know you don't mind me to say some sort of danio right now danios right yeah, I, i'm there with you because I, I think danios nobody keeps danios and under their wild conditions and you say what the hell is a wild condition of a zebra danio well, if you do a little research, they come from, interestingly enough, they come from several different habitats, and sometimes they migrate between one and the other at different times of the year. Like in India, where they come from, my understanding is that certain times of the year, you find them in these rice paddies, which are mm-hmm. sort of murky, mucky water, muddy bottoms, rice paddies. So I'm thinking like urban agapo kind of setup with like, mm-hmm. you know, like our friend shrimpery does, the, the rice plants or yep. acarus or whatever, keep it in there with a little bit of murkiness, whatever. Uh, maybe with one of our cool substrates if we ever launch them, uh, that kind of thing. <laughs> and then maybe the other time of the year, they're found in more flowy water, more like river type stream type setups with a little more current rocks, cobbles, you know, a few leaves here and there. Not tinted water, but just not like, right. you know, perfectly crystal clear water. So that's another possibility there, too. So, so yeah, they're really interesting that that's such a good fish for that one. Um, yeah, you know, but there's, there's a lot of fish that are, are not displayed in a, in an honest way. Um, there was one yeah. particularly, I want to redo this. Um, I thought I was doing, uh, like Brevibora, uh, dorsalata. Um, and I, I thought I was doing it correctly. Mm-hmm. No, I have to go back. I really? have to revisit it. Yeah. There, there was actually, you know, one of, um, you know, the members of our community, uh, messaged me directly on, uh, on um instagram and i'm trying to remember who it was now uh, when they're listening to this they'll be like yep um and they were like you need to check this out johnny like check this out this is where this fish comes from how cool is this and i was just like dude this is this is next level um i was doing this wrong and i thought i was doing it right um so you know that's a fish that i'm that i'm going to read revisit but um killifish is another one people Yo, people put killifish in planted aquariums that don't look anything yeah. like where these fish are yeah. coming from um right oh they keep them in they keep them in shoe boxes or glass jars because they're breeding them sure but permanent setups for killifish they're 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 uh, uh, ecosystems they come from are just rad there's so yeah. many different eco that's a great one uh betas at all of them you know, oh, I mean, any, any, anything. Yeah. And we, we have, um, you know, we've got some betas here that are, that are really, really interesting. Um, you know, Hendra, which we've, we've been dabbling with and a, a very natural, it looks, it looks pretty authentic, um, environment fishes. So happy. Um, got a lot of personality. 
uh, and is in a filterless aquarium. Um, nice. You know, it, it, sometimes people on the uh, these fish specific niches might you know get really upset that you're like, oh, you're keeping an environment that that doesn't have enough water, doesn't have enough this, doesn't have enough that. I'm like, ah, okay, maybe, but um, you know, the, yep. the fish is really really happy, so. I don't know if you can argue with that, but um, yeah, it's, yeah, it is hard to make that argument. So, and, yeah. And, and you know, that, that, that's cool. Data isn't, you know, it's funny. Uh, somebody just, in fact, just the other day, I did a, an enigma pack for somebody that was doing uh, sparkling gourmet. And that's another neat fish. So it, yep. it forced me once again to sort of research the environment a little more carefully just to look at it. That's another one that's, that comes from not just one type of habitat. So that's kind of neat. And in fact, even in betas, I think you knew this, but there's like a beta species that actually is found in brackish water. There's a beta species, um, yeah, that's found in brackish, and then there's that, there's yeah. beta species that are also found um, in in faster flowing um, small mountain streams. And you know, you, you super cool. You find stuff in like the Kalamaton that are you know tributaries that are more of a clearish, fast flowing water, and you can find stuff that's really really stagnant, slow peat swamps and. Yeah, I, I just think actually looking for where these fish came from, you can pick almost anything, just like pin the tail on the donkey. Um, right. It just Neon tetras, for that matter. Right. They're the most misunderstood fish, too. You know, they, they put them in a blackwater tank and see the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually thinking about adding some uh, some neons to my group of rummy nose Love here. Um, just kind of mixing it up a little bit because you'll often Super have cool. You know, see these fish uh, cohabitating the, the sort of the same same areas. Oh, that's super cool. And, and Johnny, I've got another one for you. Since the topic today seems to be bio, biotope type aquariums, for some reason people are asking. This is from Brent in Halifax, Nova Scotia, in Canada. Ah, and he says, uh, "Yeah, so they, uh, Johnny, and so he actually wrote a." Sorry, he, he played with Canadian heritage. I like that. <laughs> Me being a Can- of Canadian heritage, I can I can appreciate that he said hey guys love the uh, podcast enjoy listening to you even though i don't always understand what you're talking about so hey that's honest i like that neither do we <laughs> he said he said johnny i know a while ago you did a tapajos themed aquarium yes how would you recommend i go about recreating that type of environment what did you learn from your experience that's a great question because it gets Boom, it, it, it it allows me to um sort of deconstruct what i did and i would do it a little bit differently next time. Um, oh, you would. Yeah, I, w- I would. I would. I won't do it. I'll let somebody else redo it, and maybe I'll visit it in a in a decade or something. Um, <laughs> so you'll see some of my thoughts actually. Uh, Q4 uh, Aquarium Hobbyist Magazine. Um, ah, that aquarium will be right. in it, and uh, there's a there's a pretty good article on it, and it goes in a little more in depth. Um, and so you'll be able to check out all of the things that I probably won't mention here, but beautiful region, um, really interesting water qualities. Um, there is a, a bit of a, a greenish tint to it. Um, in hindsight, I would have um, done a little more tint to the water, just a little bit. Um, really? Yeah, it looked pretty tinted to me. That it, it, it did, it did. It just didn't photograph that way. Um, yeah. So pick it up, right? You know, and this is something we've talked about before, which is, you know, doing things for in person and doing things, um, you know, for the gram. And right, you know, in hindsight, I 
because it had a clear background, which I think is paramount for that particular area. If you do it with a black back, you'll never be able to tell that the aquarium is is Tapajos. It's just, it's just not going to see it. So I would have gone a little heavier on the tent with a clear back so that you could really get it in there. And I would have used more guava Mm -hmm. um, Guava. than I already did just to get more of a green tint. I would, I would have gone heavy there. Um, The other thing is I kept the tank too clean. I just kept it too clean. Um, I would have let a little more algae. Isn't the Tapajos more of a cleaner environment? It is. It's flowing, but there's still, there's a a tremendous amount of biofilms and, and detritus that's blowing around. And that's where I really screwed up on that tank is I just didn't have enough particulate floating around in the water. And it, it always looked, it always looked off to me. Um, It looked okay in a picture, but you know, in person, I was just like, yeah, you know, that it's just, it's not there. So particulate, um, let the stuff build up longer. Um, it's kind of hard with the heavier flow, which I think is, is important for that, that system. But I would have put more materials in, in the beginning and I would have let them just decompose. And instead yeah. I tried to maintain it at the small level instead of just let it break down to that. And, Interesting. Um, yeah, or I would have maybe even, uh, pre well, prepared is, is already pre is in the word, but I would have prepared materials, uh, crushed the leaves, then boiled, and then poured in some stuff that was already crushed up. Um, you know, I, I wish I could have just poured detritus into the tank. Um, but <laughs> so, uh, th- that's one thing, um, you know, and I think also having more fish that stir up the substrates. Um, I mean, I, I put a lot in there already, but I think that's another important thing that's often overlooked is just fishes that, you know, inhabit the bottom, bottom level of the tank. I would have done more right. of that. Uh, more, 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 uh, corridors, more or corridors, maybe tartar carousins or something. Cool like that. something. Yeah. Anything from the area that that's really kicking things up. I would have done that. Um, and then in hindsight, because that tank was three feet long and, uh, just shy of two feet tall, two feet deep, I would have gone longer. I would have gone longer and a little bit lower and it would have really allowed for the flow to seem more substantial. Um, so I think the shape of the tank also gives an impression. Um, yeah, I think a four foot tank that was a little bit, a little bit more shallow or, or reduced the water level, um, and just not Interesting. to the top. I think that that would have been great. But um, clear back on that one for sure. Uh, there's no way around that. A little more on the tent and, uh, and, and, and stirred up a bit. Because if you look at you know, any video from that area, that there's it's, a little bit of stuff in the water. There's more stuff in the water. It's not tinted dark, you know, but it, there's more stuff in the water. Well, you know, that, and that's something we've talked about a lot. I mean, one of our members of our community calls it flavor. And, and I remember, you remember, remember my tank, the, uh, this was two years ago, you photographed it the 50 gallon that was mangrove wood and just, it had a lot of biofilm and kind mm-hmm. of funk in the water. And it just, the, it was the, to me, it was the most beautiful black water tank I ever did because the color of the water was this brownish greenish golden color. And it had really, really fine particulate constantly, no matter how clean I kept that tank, yep. there was always some film in the water, some particulate, and it just looked so right. And I never really, and I just eventually just stopped trying to remove it and filter it out. I said, you know what, I'll just enjoy this. And it just sparkled. I agree. I think turbidity is one of those things we need to embrace more in botanical style aquariums. I think our water, we always strive for this absolutely crystal clear water. And I kind of think that's a fail to some extent. I do think it's a fail, um, you know, specifically with that Tapajos tank, but or 
any aquarium now. I've I've moved the um, contents of my filters around. So with the the canister filters, I use just coarse sponge now. I don't use filter mm-hmm. floss anymore. I just use really really yep. coarse sponge. Um, you know, I don't I don't really use carbon in in them, and no. I use a um, you know a, a larger media for uh, the bacteria to colonize. And so I allow the flow to go through there because the leaves and whatnot will break up into those things and, and kind of get stuck right. in there and it lowers the flow, et cetera. But, yep. um, you know, it's, it's more of just an area to, to house, you know, a, a faster a flowing, um, you know, area for, and I don't use a heater. So, you know, Oh, that's right. You don't, um, right. Right. You know, and after, yeah, talking to Mike Tucanardi about it, um, Right. Uh, the, the, those, those seasonal fluctuations. I, yeah. I just don't use a heater. I haven't used one well, in a long time. And, and it's funny. We both arrived independently at the same idea about not using media. I mean, I've always been a big one for like carbon and stuff like that, even in blackwater tanks, but really over the last you know, two or three or so years, like you, I use, I tend to not run anything. I run more all in ones than you do. You're more of a canister guy. But I, but when you do an all-in-one, you don't run media in there either, and I don't either. I, maybe I, initially to capture some of the leaves and particulates, so like you said, it doesn't clog the pump or whatever. But that just becomes part of the ritual. But I find it's just let the water flow. Bacteria colonize the surfaces inside the sump, yeah, or the back of the tank compartment, whatever you want to call it, and and that does the work. And and that that's an interesting approach. That's more. That's how I used to run reefs, really, right? I mean, everything was just yep. The, the, back, the filtration, quote unquote, took place within the ecosystem itself. And that kind of goes back, dovetails back with what you were talking about detritus when you said you think a tank needs more detritus to operate efficiently. I, and I think you're right. I think, I think so. That That is part of the filter medium. And I'm not against having, you know, a filter medium in there, but you know, no, I, I'm not going to do a chemical filtration. I use very coarse, you know, sponge, um, really large right. stuff. I'm um, not into to grabbing the, the fine particulate. Um. Yeah. You know, and, and, and kind of let it kind of let it rip through there. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, that's that's ideal. Um, that's ideal for me. Uh, oh, it works. That, oh, you know, I had another question, too, on the Tapajos thing. Did you run in that tank? Was there a lot of current, a lot of yeah. water motion or was it? Yes. Yes. Is that a fundamental part of that? That's a, kind of a fundamental part of a Tapajos tank, right? A lot of current. Yeah. And in, 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 in most parts of it, I ran, um, I ran two filters on that tank. Um, that aquarium, oof, I'm trying to remember now either. I think Hydor sponsored that aquarium for the filters. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. It's going to be in the article. If, if Hydor didn't sponsor that aquarium for the filters, CJ did. It's one of the two, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I've gone back and forth and I find both of the filters just be super, super killer. And they produced a ton of flow. Um, but I ran two very large oversized filters. Um, in the beginning, I was running them kind of in a, uh, in a loop, you know, one, one uh-huh. turn on one side, one return on the other side, uh, you know, adjacent from each other and, and circulating around. And um, in the end, I had both of the returns on one side, uh, just pushing it straight, straight across the tank. And, um, that, that produced a little bit of a better result and the fish seemed to swim around a little more naturally in it. And, and so I would experiment also with flow. I think Mm -hmm. this is common with reef aquariums. The guys experiment with flow. I don't know how often people are really changing around or adding additional flow into, um, into these other aquariums, but flow is a huge part. 
It's a, it's a really yeah. big part, and especially to get the natural behavior out of the fish and then the overall aesthetic or look at the tank. Um, right. You know, so it, it, it's funny because we don't talk about flow a lot in botanical style aquariums because most of the habitats that we tend to play with are not areas that have high flow. They generally are like slow, kind of swampy, you know, forest streams and stuff like that. Uh, stagnant pools, all kind of call it kind of biotopes like that. So it's kind of fun to hear, you know, us talking about flow, which we haven't really had a good discussion on since we were in our reefing days. And that is interesting and, uh, and changing it up periodically. I know in my brackish tank, I did run so you know, I had a Vortec MP10 in there. So I was bearing up the flow at the lagoon random mode and I was placing right. it and that, that worked in there, but you know, different type of environment, but in freshwater, that's something that's kind of fun to think about, isn't it? Yeah. That might be somebody right. I'm going to have to reach out to. Um, so yeah, ecotech yeah. expect a phone call here soon. Um, yeah, there you go. I think I might have that's to an FYI, guys. MP10 in one of these, um, you know, two people I know that do play with flow um, quite a bit or, or the idea of how um, it will, one, change. Oh, hang on. I have to let the puppy out. One the doggy needs to get yeah, out. Yeah, hang on, what, hang on, guys. <laughs> this is what happens on live podcasting. Well, we're not live, obviously. You listen to this after we record it. But we do so little editing, if, if any, that you're going to occasionally run into this sort of stuff. But uh, we're recording it literally from our, our homes. In fact, it's trash day at my house. So you may actually hear garbage trucks swing through the neighborhood after a, a certain period of time. So be prepared. But uh, Johnny right, is back, back from his back. dog. Okay. So, yeah. Penny's Penny was like, okay. this isn't happening. You, you need to the back door for me. <laughs> there um, you go. So, uh, so you're going to reach out to some people. Yeah, I'm going to reach out. But th- there's two individuals. And I, I would definitely say check out their work because, um, you know, to, to our viewers, uh, to our listeners, um, you know, one Jeff Sensky from ADG, of course, um, he's done some really cool stuff, um, you know, with MP10s and, and, and moving a lot of current around in, uh, you know, in his style of aquarium. And mm-hmm. then, um, the other guy, uh, you know, Jake Adams, reef builders, uh, yeah. his freshwater yeah. tanks are super killer. And just, we, just talk to Jake last week. Yeah, we, yeah. We need yeah. To he's going to be on. We're going to okay, perfect. He's going to be on. I, I talked to him. Yeah, he's going to be on. So you guys are going for a real treat with Jake. Um, yeah, he, you're right. He's played with that stuff with like rainbow fish tanks, rainbow fish tanks. Um, yeah, you know, and I think, I think that's another one that Jeff has done as well was uh, rainbow fishes and using the MP tents and yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's something we'll that's have often to touch on that. You, you know what also too, I'm wondering, and I am not an African cichlid, you know, knowledgeable person at, at, at all. I mean, I know a little about them. I wonder if those are working, will work well in Rift Lake cichlid tanks, or if you have oh, a lot yeah. of current in Rift Lakes, or I, I would imagine there's some. My, Mike Sensky is the guy that, that, uh, you uh, know, <laughs> another, another ADG right there, but yep. I've never seen yeah, a better Malawi or Tanganyika, like, you know, Mabuna, any, any of those mm. Rift Lake type setups. I've never seen anything better than the ones that, you know, he produces. They're nice. They're really cool. He would he would know how to tell you how to do that one. We're, we'll have to have Mike on, and maybe Mike we, we can get lucky and get Mike and Jeff on at the same time. That would be cool. That would be great. Um, there's another another question from Rich in Corvallis, Oregon, and he just very succinct. Would you keep angelfish in a botanical style aquarium? And this is a conversation Johnny and I have had for a long time. I mean, I know you were you were agonizing over actually doing that at one time. Remember like about a year ago, you were in a planet tank and you were just kind of going back and forth yep. on doing that. Uh, obviously, the angelfish are, you can do all kinds of things with them, but would, would they look cool in a botanical style aquarium? 
Uh, My thinking is, yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, my argument would be they only look cool in a in a botanical. um, Well, yeah, except for Jeff Sensky's tank. Remember that? Yeah, well, and that's 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 high concept, and that's a totally different the concept um, style of aquarium keeping. But at the same time, back to ADG, uh, they they have a. I, maybe it's 15 foot long, five foot tall, five foot wide uh, display that they've done for one of their clients that is um, nice, real Ultim Angels. And the, the water is, it looks like tea, man. And um, it's gorgeous. Nice. I, I think that's the way to display them. Um, well, Aficionado, he's done a really cool. Uh, and, and some Summer Tawari, one of our, our buddies yep. here, he, he keeps his, he has, I think, Nene Angels and. I said Pene. I think it was is it Nene or Pene? Uh, whatever. But he has those real. Uh, you think it's P A N A? Yeah, he has that, and and I think he's kept Ultims under those circumstances too. Um, there's a lot of yeah. I think Angels are making a really amazing tank, and and I know you you were really close to doing something, but you didn't have the right tank. You didn't want uh, to do it in something that didn't have the right dimension. I remember. That yeah, was I was. Um, yeah, I got hung up on it. You were space limited or something. Yeah, yeah, I just don't feel comfortable putting angelfish in an aquarium that's under two feet tall. Um, yeah, and that's a sticking point for a lot of people, and that's a tough tank to to aquascape for a lot of people. I, well, you know, I just didn't have one on hand. Like I have about every shape, well, yeah. shape size tank you could imagine from yeah. one gallon to a uh, hundred, but, but, you know, I just, I just didn't have anything that was, I really wanted a 30 inch tall or 36 inch tall aquarium. And I just didn't have one sitting around. And it's a lot to work with though. 36 inch tall tank is so hard to get down in and clean. Yeah. Uh, or net something out or move. I mean, that's, that's hard. I remember we had at unique corals, we had that big display tank. It was like a big, cylinder do you remember that yeah it was like wide or 10 feet wide that thing was so hard to get your hands down into i mean you're using those grabbers which never work well but deep tanks are their own challenge but boy when they when you pull one off it's wow be spectacular yeah well you know and to piggyback on this one uh i I would venture to say that the unless you're doing a hybrid or a um, you know uh, a a breed of discus that is Mm-hmm. you know, never came from the wild, um, which then put them in a plain glass tank with nothing in it because that, that is, right. that is the natural habitat for a bread fish like that. <laughs> if, you're doing, right. if you're doing a, you know, a wild discus, I mean, that tank better be just stained dark botanicals. I mean, it, it's, it's gotta be proper. Um, that's another fish I just think looks really weird with a, with a clear tank. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, but they so many people keep them that way right now. It's kind of kind of unusual, um, and and this dovetails with this uh, another question. Uh, this is from Kendra from Overland Park, Kansas. She okay. says, "Hey Johnny and Scott, I love hearing your podcasts. A lot of interesting stuff there. I have a question for you. Does a tank need to be one hundred percent biotopically accurate to be called a biotope aquarium?" Like, we can get in all kinds of trouble with this one depends I mean, on who you ask and, um yeah there's so many i mean we're we're like biotope inspired we're not absolutely I, I speak for me but i think that you're the same way we're not absolutely dyed in the wool 100 every rock every twig every leaf is absolutely from this particular region i think biotope inspired is a safer thing for us to say i, I think that's pretty that's what i'm into that's a pretty honest way to do it 
I would say biotope biotopically inspired is, is really what we do. If you're going to say it's a biotope and, and this is for every contest I've seen, yeah. not, not one tank I've ever seen is a biotope. So nobody's ever done it. Um, unless right. you get every grain of sand, every twig, every right. twig, every leaf, the fish are from the wild. Uh, it's not a biotope. You literally go to the river and collect the, the You know, the only person that's probably really done a biotope is McColgy. Ty or McColgy. Or, or McColgy, because they're right there. Yeah. And they're, you know, still so right so unless you walked into the stream and picked it up and put it in your tank, it's not a biotope. Yeah. And, that, and Ty Streitman, who, yeah. if you're listening, Ty, you know, we, we, we owe you one. I think we're probably going to have you on next week. So we're going to have to talk about your new stuff. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, the, the you, you hit it on the head. And I think the problem is so few people are really knowledgeable about not about the, the flora and fauna of a given region mm-hmm. to really be able to definitively identify that say to, to look at a tank and, and call bullshit on it and say, no, nah, that's not a biotope because yeah. you're using guava leaf instead of, uh, you know, whatever you know, rubber tree plant leaf, the Javier Brasiliensis or whatever right. that falls in the rainforest. I mean, so few people can really identify that once a leaf starts breaking down or a botanical, these are representative of, and, and I get into this tangle with people all the time. People ask and say, oh, you know, you guys aren't really, uh, why do you talk about biotope aquariums? You know, because the stuff you have comes from all over the place. It's like, no, no shit. <laughs> it's yeah. representative of, I think we could split hairs all day and that would just, why? There, there's, right? it's, yeah. So I, I just avoid biotope. Um, if I do yeah. use that terminology. It's, it's more. We bio. use it inspire yeah and love much love to the people doing the contest i mean god god love you man that's that's hard but like like johnny said is there really a real 100 percent authentic biotope out there no and then Probably you not. get into the design aspect of it um you so know hard you could walk out there net every fish and um you know pick every grain of sand and put that in your aquarium but even then you're not going to design it the way that nature did it's going to be a no. re- so even then no it's a representation. And, and if we ever do a contest, which we go back and forth and back and forth about over the years, we ever do a contest, it's going to be about functional aesthetics as much as it is about the look. You're going to be judged based on how long has the tank been up? Right. How has it been functioning? Not just did you put together a perfect collection of stuff, photograph it, and you're done. It's like, no, no. How is this run at three months or six months or whatever? Yeah, People will probably hate a contest that we do because it'll be so onerous. Like, you know, the contest period will be like a year or something. But but I think that's the point is like you can take these things to their absurdity and go crazy with them. I would imagine that's hard. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll eventually get around to figuring out how to do it. But I, I think there's going to have to be a prerequisite of um, you know time running and uh, to you know shy away from or of a very the moss trimming diorama, right? Or of a very specific environment yeah. that we're trying to everybody's trying to do a blank, you know, and that's what we work with or something like that. But we'll we'll see. Uh, last question for you. And this is one, uh, this is funny because this is a, a, a someone that uh, I've been talking to on Instagram and I didn't tell her that this was going to be on the show, but I did answer her yesterday, but I really want to run this by you because you're a little better versed on maybe fish health and, and particularly betas than I am. And I want to see if your, your answer can help a little more than maybe what I give. Uh, I said, Hey Scott, uh, we messaged on Instagram about how much I love the, the podcast. Uh, thank you for being willing to take a stab at a tank specific question. I appreciate having a thought partner here. Um, I have two tanks, one of which has been transferred to a blackwater tank. My primary motivation, the main inhabitant of the tank, a male beta uh, named Murray. That's cute. She named him. He struggles with chronic fin nipping, ripping, biting something. 
Mm. Uh, I got him about six months ago. I'm, I'm sort of summarizing here. Uh, I got him about six months ago after not being in the hobby a very long time. He always struggled with fin loss the first couple of months because I made an idiotic beginner mistake and put him in a community tank with incompatible tank mates, and they were at each other's throats for months. Okay. Since July, he's been in his very own heavily planted five-gallon tank. His only tank mates are snails. Water parameters are essentially perfect. Zero ammonia, zero nitrates, zero to 10 ppm nitrate i'm sorry zero nitrite zero to 10 ppm nitrate neutral ph weekly 20 percent water changes with ro sure uh 78 degree consistent temperature i removed anything he could potentially tear his fins on rocks etc despite all these modifications he nearly always has the slightest of fin tearing and now there's a chunk in the middle of his tail that indicates he might have bitten it the tearing is minimal will it heal a bit on its own but it always seems to come back well, I, I, he's, so he chases his tail, I guess. But yeah. What would Blackwater tank help? That's what he wants to know, kind the, of. But what, what's your thinking on this? There's Have a, you seen this before? A couple of a couple of issues here, and um, again, my area of study is is not specifically, um, you know, fish. I'm not a like an ichthyologist or anything like that. Um, but uh, there there are a couple of things that could be going on. One is upon introduction or even at buying the fish, there could be a, a low level bacterial infection or something. And he's got some sort of chronic thing that's going on there and deteriorating the fins. Uh, it could have been caused by the stress or the initial uh, nipping from the other community fish. Um, and so it may have never really healed up and it might be just a reoccurring chronic infection. Gotcha. Um, so there's one. Uh, the other one is said the water parameters are perfect. Yes, they are perfect water parameters for what people would consider perfect. Um, <laughs> they're, they're probably um, not ideal with the chemistry and the biome, the makeup, what kind of bacteria in the, in the water column or not in the water column. Um, and it's probably lacking, you know, the tannic and humic substances that may be benefiting fish. Um, yeah. So helping it regenerate or not um, incur more damage, uh, you know, helping fight those bacterial or possibly viral infection, uh, any of those kind of things. So, yeah, I think a blackwater aquarium would help. Um, the other one is a lot of these designer or bred betas are going to just be prone to fin tearing or potentially the behavior of the fish itself um, is just going to nip on itself. Just because like inbreeding or something or yeah, some it's weird just, genetic uh, thing. It's it's a yeah, it's a line line bred fish. Um, so it, it may be something that's always going to happen. And if the fish is healthy and happy, which healthy doesn't mean pretty. Right. Right. Who cares if it's got, you know, rip fins? Interesting. So um that's you a know. good good no, it's a good set of answers. So so really there's no treatment per se which is kind of the conclusion i arrived at sure giving them more black water conditions repatriating them to conditions that are more consistent with what they evolved under for thousands of millions of years might might do the trick i mean is that kind of what you're getting at yeah and and i think you know if if all else fails and the fish is eating and it's happy and it's enjoying itself and and yep. you're enjoying the fish and its behaviors um just do what my wife does and 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 overlook the flaws and um just yep. be happy that your your male beta is um you know doing doing the other things well so <laughs> <laughs> well said see that goes to a whole nother topic that we could talk about for hours another time in that sometimes doing too much is just as bad as doing too little 
like sometimes we over mess with stuff and, and sometimes it's best to just kind of leave things. And uh, if it's working, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Is that like the old saying goes? I think, I and think that's going to that 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 sum that up. Yeah. Part of the hobby. Well, you know, that concludes the, uh, the uh, emails and, and DMS for, for this episode. Do you have anything else you want to add Johnny? No, I think we're pretty we're well. We didn't talk about the filterless aquarium that much. Oh, you know, I think it, you know, is it, what did we just do clickbait? Is that what that was? It was like listen bait. <laughs> I, I well, think we one did. of the topics is, is teased everybody. aquariums, and then we tease at it all the way to the end and then say, Well, we're not going to talk about it. We'll do time. it next time, right? Yeah, so I think right. we're going to do it next time, guys. Uh, yeah, we're at an hour already, so I think you guys are probably like already. Uh, oh, the coolest thing ever, one of my one of my customers. Um, uh, he is a, and, and he knows who he is. He's a fighter pilot for the U S air force. And he told me he listened to the tent marathon while doing, they were, they were doing like a, a I guess a trip through the Caribbean. And for hours he was listening to the, the podcast in his cockpit of his F-16. How cool is that? That might be the so coolest said, thing that's ever definitely, happened to the tent. Yeah. He definitely said it was the, definitely the, the fastest speed that anybody's ever listened to the tent at. Uh, and probably the highest altitude as well. So kind of cool. I thought that was a kind of a fun, I, fun story. We love those kind of things. I'm so I was the biggest, biggest plane nerd as a kid. I, I mean, I still am. Yeah, but yeah, I keep a binoculars on hand at all times. That's how geeky I am. Uh, <laughs> man, I am so jealous right now. That would be. Yeah. We should yeah. do a podcast in an F-16. Ooh. You, right. One of us would have to, have to figure to out how to be up. a pilot. Or I didn't have <laughs> that ship <laughs> sailed already for me. <laughs> but yeah, that would be awesome. But maybe, maybe he'll invite us to the flight line when he's in California, and we'll go. Uh, we'll go check it out. But, uh, I thought that was so killing. cool to hear that. And we we love hearing your stories, by the way, of where you listen to us, and because it's just as much fun for us to to have these conversations as with ourselves as is with you know hearing your questions. One day we're going to figure out how to do it live and like take questions. Maybe that's on YouTube, right? Or something like that where we can actually interact or a Zoom or what if we did like a Zoom thing? Don't even, we're not, we're not touching Zoom. Um, Okay, never mind. I hate Zoom, but I'm just wondering, (laughs) is there a way to do it live? Yeah, good. I'm I'm glad you shot that down. I think Zoom is, no, I don't want to do Zoom. But, Um, but I mean, is there some way maybe, we'll just do Instagram live. We haven't done that in a while. We're going to do a few different things. We'll, we'll get this thing going live. Um, We'll do it uh, really want to know. a la Joe Rogan or something like that. And uh, yeah, there you maybe go. do it on YouTube and, and get into the comments or something. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. We're gonna, we're, and we're going to have some really great guests, guests coming up in the next few weeks. Um, people we've said we were going to get to just for one reason or another, scheduling conflicts, whatever, haven't been able to. <clears> uh, we're going to get those. Uh, and uh, we may have our, uh, by popular demand, a lot of people wanted Jennifer Williams back as a sort of a, a yes, part please. of our little duo here. Yeah, so. Jen's going to come back. I talked to her last week, so we're going to get her back in and just go geek out on stuff. And if you guys have suggestions for questions, obviously email us, uh, DM us, uh, email us tannin aquatics at gmail.com. I know Johnny, I got to get a tannin aquatics.com or whatever to do that. Yeah. It's ready on me. We're going to do it. You've been on me (laughs) on that for months. And then, uh, hit us up on Instagram or Facebook or whatever with those questions or topics for the podcast. It's a lot of fun to do that. And, uh, we look forward to mixing it up more with you guys. And so, Johnny, thanks as usual for thank you dropping by. And uh, we hope everybody else is doing out there with COVID. Be safe. You know, mask up in public. Let's beat this thing. Everybody stay healthy. 
uh, enjoy the fall and out here in California, hopefully it'll start cooling down eventually in Los Angeles, maybe. Not and, gonna uh, we're, no, not going to happen. Wherever you guys are, I hope the weather's doing well. I know people are in hurricane situations. That's a problem. And all of our friends in Europe and around the world, thanks again for tuning in. We look forward to seeing you the next time on the next installment of The Tent. See you, Johnny.